0: After the recent adventures of the League, we planned on following up with the Elongated Man. His appearance with the Flash had piqued our interest, and we wanted to see how much we didn't know about the Ductile Detective. What we didn't count on was having a guest. The Atom asked if he could tag along, and we obliged by giving the Mighty Mite a ride. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. It is a blustery, rainy evening here in the office, and, uh...
1: No, no hang on. This is noir. We have to do it right. That's, that's It true. was a
0: dark and stormy night. It's, this is the usual weather in the office, actually. Uh, <laughs> in any event... uh Joanne and us are just soaked to the bone from this ridiculous sideways rain, and uh,
1: yeah, it's got some good wind factor. Yeah,
0: there's a, it's it's nature nature's mad and they it wants us to know that it's mad. Um, but we've got quite a lot of ground to cover today. We're actually doing two characters for the first time: um, elongated man and the Atom. And we wanna we wanted to to bring in elongated man purely because he started coming into the Flash comics, and we wanted to be able to cover him uh, more as his own character, because eventually in the mid-60s, he's going to get his own stories in Detective Comics. So I feel like it's important for us to start covering him now, um, just so that we have that background. We can then skip him also in the Flash comics, so that those episodes can get shorter when we cover the Flash again. And then, of course, the latest uh, inductee into the Justice League, the Atom. We want to make sure that we cover him effectively, so that we all kind of Get caught up in where he is and who he is because when we covered him in the Justice League books, we were like, "Oh, it's the Atom. We know who he is." But maybe you don't, so we're going to rectify that. So to start off, we're going to start with the Elongated Man um, with uh, the Flash, number one nineteen, March nineteen sixty one. Now, if you remember in Flash comics, Flash kind of has that one issue where him and the Elongated Man think that they're rivals, and then they become friends. At a different time, they you know push back some dimensional invaders. Now this is the next story that the Elongated Man appears in in the Flash magazine. Uh, And in this story, Ralph gets married. And this is one of the quintessential uh, marriages in the DC universe as well, kind of similar to uh, Lois and Clark. And, And it's Ralph and Sue, Sue Dearborn, who then becomes Sue Dibney. And they are on their honeymoon, and they are doing honeymoon stuff, you know, on a cruise in the in the. Care you phrase that? No, no, that's <laughs> not a phrasing at all. Um, but Ralph likes to just be in his costume all the time, no matter what, because apparently he just enjoys being seen as the elongated man. So Ralph is always constantly dressed as the elongated man. It's kind of like, it's kind of a Mr. Fantastic thing from Fantastic Four, where you hardly see Reed Richards outside of the Fantastic Four suit.
1: Okay. I'll agree with that, but I'll go. A, I'll go in a different direction. Uh, it's like dad ego. Yeah. Like if dad, if if any dad looked good in a super suit, that dad would always wear the super suit.
0: Yeah, but it's it's just a weird decision that apparently Sue doesn't question at all. They're they're both happily content to have him walk around in a in a purple jumpsuit, and so he goes skin diving in, of course, his stretchy super suit. So as he's skin diving, he gets captured, he disappears for like hours underwater, and Sue's like, that can't be good. So she radios the person that Ralph told her to radio, should anything ever happen, and it's the Flash, and the Flash shows up. He's like, what happened? She says, oh my god, he's missing. He goes down to find Ralph, and he sees that Ralph has been taken prisoner and made a slave by this underwater civilization, and basically the two of them start an uprising, get all the the missing sailors and divers that have been captured and turned into slaves to rebel, and they get brought back to the surface. Um, I'm going to say we get a body count for both of them, three apiece here. Because I counted those weird, like, flying saucer car things that they face off against in the Mm, rebellion. And those things are exploding and on fire. And we don't see anybody getting out of those, and we don't see anybody, like, running from them. So with no bodies to suggest that they are doing this peacefully... I'm saying that both Barry, who we know kills all the time Mm -hmm. in his book, not like by choice and out of decision, but he does very much, if you're in a robot, you're likely going to die in a Flash comic. You know, I'm going to say they both kill these aliens. Yeah, I'll buy it. And it's three apiece here since there were six. I'm going to divide it down the middle. The Flash, number 124, November 1961. This is an interesting one. Captain Boomerang is released on parole, and he's back in Central City. Ralph and Sue are in Central City as well, but what ends up happening is Captain Boomerang keeps being around when crimes happen that involve boomerangs, but he's obviously not the one that's throwing them, so it's baffling everybody, and The Flash is like, I know it's you. I just can't prove it. I'll have to figure out how to do that. And what we find out is that Captain Boomerang has invented a time-traveling boomerang. It's so good. Which it's so good. I'm like, dude, Digger. Get a different job. You've just invented a time traveling device. Um, <laughs> it, clearly, you're you're smarter than petty thievery, but of course not. He's got the outfits, but so he must do thieving um because really what ends up happening is this thing doesn't really travel through time so much as it goes into a dimension that's parallel to ours pops out at the time frame specified and the inhabitants of this other dimension don't take too kindly to this thing that keeps flying in and out of their dimension they think it's a spy and so they decide to invade our dimension and captain boomerang the flash and then they approach the elongated man team up to stop these aliens from assaulting central city they do so and then they of course turn on captain boomerang and they stop him um It's such a weird, like, arbitrary sort of a story. Like, you can tell they want to keep incorporating the Elongated Man so much Mm. so that they're giving him his own canon. He gets married. He's on a honeymoon. He is going out and, like, being the Elongated Man. He's clearly, like, in the public eye. They like him enough that he is his own character with his own life outside of the Flash. And he keeps showing up in Flash comics... But these insertions into Flash comics are so just, like, shoved in there. They're shoehorned so heavily. It's like, just give him his own book, guys. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Or give him a showcase situation or something. But But this is super weird.
1: I'll take it in a little bit of a different direction. This is something I'm going to talk about one angle of later on as well. But this story especially is sort of exemplary are uh, exemplary of this kind of thing where the pacing makes it feel more shoehorned in than i think it otherwise would be because there's the introduction there act one takes a surprisingly long time before oh uh, the alien stuff comes in it's like no we're gonna take up like about half of this entire story setting the scene of Captain Boomerang. Is he doing some shit? Like, yeah. it, there's something going on, but... Uh, well, I think part of that is because it's a Flash comic. Yeah.
0: It is. It, these are Flash comics. They're not centered around
1: elongated man. who yep. just shows up. That's the, So that's the thing. I think this one especially, there's three different major elements going on in a weirdly paced story of elongated man uh captain boomerang and aliens and it's not like each is getting enough breathing room to really come through it's kind of weirdly te- bad tetris together yeah
0: it's it's a very strange jenga tower of plot <laughs> and yeah. uh it's it i mean thank god it kind of works. Oh yeah, like uh,
1: every single story we cover today, I think is fun. Yeah, like and I it's and I, and I will say style. this.
0: Well, I, and I will say this: these are these stories specifically that we're covering with the elongated man are all written by John Broom, Yep, who was writing Flash at the time and is also the guy writing Green Lantern. He's not a slouch. Mm-hmm. John Broom and Gardner Fox are probably our favorite writers at the time right now in the Silver Age. So these aren't these aren't terrible. Mm-hmm. they're better than some of the worst stuff we've read. Oh, yeah. But these are very clearly John Broom trying to be like, I really like this character. How do I put him in? It's very much a Marsden, Where how can I fit kink into this situation? <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. the elongated man is to John Broom as weird kink fetishes are to Marsden in Wonder Woman comics. And this is also the only other time we've gotten an instance of an actual honest-to-God superhero appearing as a supporting character in anyone else's book that isn't that isn't huh. uh, that, that doesn't have their own title this suggests that there are elongated man level characters just mm. farting about in the dc universe
1: huh yeah okay yeah like I buy it.
0: above above sna- there's there's a level between snapper car and jla member and it's the elongated man
1: yeah. Okay. And it's About- super.
0: It's super weird. And it's and it's like fascinating to think mm-hmm. that like the only reason he's not being looked at is like we don't know. We don't know why he wasn't brought up when it came for membership for the JLA. Huh. Like and it, and yeah. either either it is he didn't exist yet. And Gardner Fox, <laughs> this is stupid. Gardner Fox pitched two characters that he created and Green Arrow. Hawkman and Adam Strange or elongated man didn't exist yet and had elongated man existed I guarantee fucking teed he probably would have been in that running
1: I I actually think elongated man existed before the JLA got going cuz I have the no, I mm. I was looking at it for an unrelated reason uh, elongated well, man debuted in May of 1960.
0: Yeah, and JLA started in 59.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. No, for some reason, I had 61 seconds. 60
0: was the year uh, Green Arrow became a member. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. So
0: he he appeared the same year that G.A. was inducted, which means that G.A., uh, Adam Strange, and Hawkman existed just before him. And I guarantee, had he shown up early enough, Gardner Fox would have included him as Hmm. one of the guys that they were put up for membership.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: But... (laughs) <laughs> Digression, but just an interesting sort of like fleshing out bit like again like I said there's a level between snapper car and JLA member and it's the elongated man and that kind of sets a weird sort of limbo for what we would consider B tier characters. He's B team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we really haven't seen B team I think you're you hit the nail on the head. We've seen sidekicks. Uh we haven't seen B team superheroes. And
0: I think the only thing closest is the challengers of the unknown. But I don't consider them superheroes. I consider them adventurers. Yeah, yeah. But they're yeah. So that's the thing is like the support uh, staff for the JLA consists solely of the elongated man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He'd probably have a very good time being the one back at base and yeah. just being the man in the chair.
0: Hey, so someone is out for reasons unknown. Like let's call in, let's call in Ralph. We, we need a sixth man, you know, Ralph, Ralph's, on, Ralph's on deck, kind of a thing.
1: See, I also, like, my JLA, when I was first getting heavily into comics, into superhero comics, was the era that had Plastic Man in it. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is perfect.
0: Great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I will say, I think Ralph is just a step above the sidekicks. Yes. It's very clear that he is... It's like a kid in the peewee leagues of baseball being mentored by a major league guy getting asked to hang out with his minor league buddy yeah and it's like you're, you're you've made it you're you're more professional than I am but you're not as professional as my mentor kind of a thing mm-hmm Speaking of that, that exact analogy applies to The Flash number one thirty, August nineteen sixty two. Good segue. Where Kid Flash and the Elongated Man team up to take on the Weather Wizard, who is um, blizzarding some town, you know. And The Flash is like, I can't deal with this. I want you to go, ha- you know, hang out with the Elongated Man and take care of it. And Kid Flash and the Elongated Man team up, and it's a very interesting thing where Kid Flash is like, Wow, the Elongated Man, and he follows the elongated man's lead despite the fact that he is in and of himself practically his own superhero Mm -hmm. because he hardly ever shows up in flash comics with the flash he's doing his own stuff in blue valley it's just very interesting to me it's like okay young sidekick kid not as good as a jla member mentor guy And that's what we've got here. It's very interesting. Like, I just I like I like the weird stratification of character levels here. Mm -hmm. And it's just something to note for the DC universe that it's like, okay, we've got some B plus superheroes that aren't quite as cool as possible JLA members. Now that's gonna be it for the elongated man for us, and we just kind of really did a good sort of a wrap-up of him, despite that, you know, last issue being out of place during our whole talk. But the elongated man comics are Him helping Flash do stuff right now. He, Like we said, he will eventually get his own um, stories in Detective Comics, but it's very obvious John Broom is really trying to warm the readers up to this character being put in. And so far, he's the only writer doing that with a secondary superhero. John Mm -hmm. Broom is essentially writing a secondary superhero without being given another book to write him in, which is
1: really interesting to watch. Uh, and i think part of the reason for that is that john broom is one of the most callback heavy writers as it is like certainly jla we've got with Gardner uh, Fox, yeah, with, picking and picking and choosing from everybody else's books yes uh and also just a little bit of callbacks to previous stories in jla stuff uh but in terms of building a stable of recurring characters i think broom is absolutely up there just i mean gorilla grod and just oh, gorilla sure. city just oh, oh this yeah. shows up and suddenly gorillas all the, Flash all the time characters mm-hmm. um, not to
0: mention everything he's bringing up in in green lantern yeah you know thomas and uh carol and he's going to bring up he's going to create the gl universe yeah yeah so this guy oh my god we get to go back to jail soon yeah oh shit i'm excited for green lantern and space opera (laughs) we're gonna get we're gonna go back to a lot of people we're gonna go back to aquaman Mm -hmm. for the first time in a long time
1: and oh uh, i'm down for some finny friends yes um anyway
0: moving forward now that we've covered the elongated man we're gonna go to showcase number 34 september october 1961 for the first appearance of ray palmer also known as the atom now Ray Palmer lives in Ivy Town. Hey, Young Justice reference. Um, and he is a physicist. He's a scientist. We're going to say Swiss Army scientist because it doesn't really necessarily. He doesn't stick to a single sort of discipline mm-hmm. as it as it is because we'll as we'll see later. He's dealing with this dwarf star material that he encountered in the wild it's a meteor that crashes like oh my god i should check that out which makes me go like are you an astronomer he grabs it takes it back to his lab processes it in some way and he realizes that if he shines light through it it makes things shrink however as soon as they shrink they start to become unstable and explode remember that thing in the new frontier comic and or movie that's how they destroyed the circle or the center uh, as they strap the thing on the back of the Flash and he runs around it and it shrinks the the giant island and it destroys it. It's a thing. And I vaguely remember that. Yeah, uh, we should watch that. I remember that. It's a good movie. I, I think um,
1: we might have. Is that the did. one
0: that's? Okay. we did. That's like 1950s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Ray's got this machine that basically shrinks things and blows them up, and he's like, "Well, this is useless," because in his mind, what he thinks he's going to do with the dwarf star material is shrink down like crops and stuff and make them get stored on like a single container ship so that you can like distribute tons of crops at a time or like make s- certain types of food feed more people and, th- and it's like yeah that makes sense you know like all of this you know seems to work and be a smart wonderful thing to do but he's drawn a blank everything exploding he goes With his girlfriend, Jean Loring, who is a lawyer. Not a lady lawyer. She is a lawyer, and I refuse to call her a lady lawyer, despite everyone in the comics calling her a lady lawyer. Like it's some sort of category. No, she's a lawyer. She's a lawyer, everyone. She dresses Mm -hmm. like Jackie Onassis, and she's a lawyer. (laughs) She looks like Dr. Girlfriend, and she's a lawyer. wow yeah. yeah yeah she does her and carol ferris shop at the same store and they dress exactly the same i don't know if it's because Gil was gil kane drawing yep, yeah. yep. gil kane has a thing for jackie o and that's <laughs> just what he's doing and every woman dresses like jackie o it's the weirdest thing but both Jean loring and carol ferris are nearly identical
1: huh that that actually disappoints me a lot because now yep. that i think about it i don't remember seeing many other like frequently shown uh, female characters in The Atom or Green Lantern. Right. So it's like, does, does he just have one style of woman he draws?
0: Yeah, I don't know. But they all dress the same and they all look the same. So that's, you know, Jean Lorraine looks like that. And they go out with his class on a geology thing. So I guess he's a geologist as well as a physicist to make a thing that can shrink. I don't know, man. He's a, he's a capital S scientist. He does Swiss Army science. And the kids and him and Gene get caught in a cave in and he's like, maybe I can find a way out if I shrink myself and find some ways and like, you know, something, you know, maybe shrinking will help. Plot ensues. And (laughs) he puts his lens that he's made with the Dwarf Star material on top of these two rock things. Sunlight shines through it, makes him shrink. He finds a way out digs a hole with the wedding ring that he carries around with him all the time because apparently he's proposing to gene like non-stop which we'll get into that and cuts a hole for them to get out and leaves and find and runs through the light because he's like oh god i'm gonna i'm gonna explode because everything that i have shrunk with this explodes and realizes that if he runs back through the light he returns to his normal size Thinks that it might have something to do with the water that dripped on the lens while he's in the cave. Isn't quite sure. We'll deal with it later. Gets everybody out. Goes back to the lab. Tries putting water on the lens. Doesn't change anything. He goes, oh, fuck. I guess, I guess I just don't blow up. That's kind of the explanation yeah, is that. Yeah. I And I looked to make sure that I like didn't miss anything plot relevant. It just seems that this the dwarf star material with UV sunlight when used on a person doesn't blow up.
1: Mm-hmm. And he, I don't think it's clear at this point whether it's just using it on him or if people in general. Yeah, if that. it's
0: if organic matter is just more malleable or what it doesn't. No one knows, and it's not established. I don't know because I don't know too much about the atom yeah. personally. But it seems though that Ray is able to shrink and grow without exploding for extended periods of time. Hooray! He's he now is like this is something I could use. So that was showcase. Number 34, the first story. The second story is Ray makes a suit out of the Dwarf Star material, which when he stretches it, it becomes invisible.
1: You um, know, I kind of liked it. I kind of <laughs> do.
0: When you say it out loud, though, it sounds really oh, stupid. Oh, yeah, no,
1: no, no, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, but basically he makes a suit that's for him when he shrinks down. And then when he stretches it, it turns invisible because the molecules get so stretched out that they look invisible and so he can wear it when he's normally around and just like over his regular clothes I guess mm-hmm. and then when he shrinks they the molecules compress and he's in the suit so this the suit only shows up when he's six inches tall and maintains when he like shrinks and shrinks and shrinks but the second he goes above six inches it goes invisible again and he's back in whatever clothes he was wearing I I don't know. I don't... I really worked hard not to question. I was like, is he putting it over his lab coat? So why doesn't his lab coat look plastered yep. to his yep. body? Yep. Why, doesn't he, just,
1: why doesn't he look laminated yeah, at all times? I just...
0: I really was like, you know, I'm not gonna... This is one of those things I'm just not gonna question because there's gonna be too many questions. If we, The longer we keep doing this podcast, there's gonna be more things where I'm just like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, but Capital S Science makes him a suit. And some guy... In the as as this is going on in Ivy Town, a criminal named uh, Carl Ballard finds an alien who mis- you know accidentally gets lost on Earth, who's also six inches tall, and uses Europium to teleport places. And the guy, I don't know, bewitches the little man into doing things for him and keeps him. Needing him by feeding him europium. He's like, I only give it to you if you teleport places that I tell you to and steal from me. It's a very arbitrary story. Um, Mm -hmm. Not the stronger of the two stories. Personally, the first one was like, this is interesting. And like, you could have ended there, but whatever.
1: That one was especially interesting, like, tangent. But the fact that there's a good like three or four pages, or maybe like three pages, where he's like, yeah, I'm going to get everybody out. I'm gonna explode when this is done. Yeah,
0: I was like, yeah, how's he gonna get out of this? like i'm yeah. I'm sitting there going like, he's gonna blow up, right? like we've never we've never discussed that. I don't know how this works. So I, in my head, I'm going like, I don't know how he's going to stop himself from blowing up because I genuinely don't know a lot about this character. Yeah, I same. need to see what happens to him. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, I'm fine now, and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> like, you're just okay. so.
1: Kind yeah, of, a, it, it was a little bit, uh, you know, what? Bit, why don't the Pataro earrings make us fuse forever? Uh, because Toriyama said so.
0: Look, man, it's, guess who wrote these? Gardner Fox. Yeah. So there's a lot of Gardner Foxing going on right now about mm-hmm. science. And we're just like, whew, this is, this and Hawkman are the most Gardner Foxing we've ever seen. Like with the Zeta mm-hmm. Beam stuff and Adam Stranger was kind of like, take it as wrote. But this is like, I don't know, man. I don't know about that one, Chief. So it's a little, it's a little weird. There's
1: a story coming up. It, it may actually be the one that we're about to go into, where the it broke the immersion for me the most because it's he shrinks a bottle, or no, the bottle was part of this same story, wasn't it? The second story. In yeah, yeah. Issue. He
0: shrinks. He shrinks a bottle, and the bottle doesn't explode.
1: Yeah, that's the one where it's just like you know, I don't. I don't want to be this guy, but... But hey, man, come on. We've read enough
0: of your work to know that no. Um, So we're going to move on to showcase number 35, November, December, 1961. Ray helps Gene protect a guy who wants to claim his inheritance, which is about $10 million, um, but his family's cursed, and anybody who's tried to claim this inheritance has died through means of some sort of, like, earth, wind, fire, and water curse. Uh, Great band. Um, (laughs) But they find out that upon living in this mansion with the guy that like there's a single individual who's trying to kill him because apparently if if this guy doesn't claim his inheritance at a certain day, the money goes to any kid living in the mansion. And the dad who lives in the mansion as like the handyman has a son. So he's like, if the, if the money goes to my son, then basically I can control my son and get all the money. And he keeps trying to elaborately kill this guy. And Ray... The nice guy that he is just helps him survive so he can get his money. And the guy, like, honestly gives his money up and then goes and builds a hospital in, like, the South Pacific with it. So it's, like, not even a bad dude. (laughs) It's not even greedy. I Um, was
1: really ready for there to be, like, a twist. Yeah, or him to suddenly get,
0: like, super greedy or whatever. But no, he was just like, oh, I want to build a hospital in the South Pacific. And you're like, ah, all right that was one story in showcase number uh, 35. So then we go to showcase number 36. Good for Ray getting 34, 35 and 36 sequentially. Other characters were never that lucky. They always jumped between issues. Um, but in showcase number 36, June, uh, January, February, 1962, um, a foreign agent of, a, of a country that is clearly invested in the cold war. Mm-hmm. Um, makes uh finds a guy in budapest that is going to meet gene's also scientist father that this is a giant piece of information that we're just given and it's never talked about ever again um and they're like we want you to go meet professor loring in the states and find out what he's doing because apparently her her dad's making a way of just of detonating missiles before they land from the from the ground without having to shoot anything at them and so they're like we want you to go there we're going to make a guy who's an imposter of you because nobody's ever really seen you in real life before, and then we were going to keep you here and brainwash you. And Jean, clever girl that she is, banks on this guy being a fake and gets his fingerprints and then gives it to the CIA, and they're like, yeah, this guy's a foreign spy. And then she's like, I, I wish the Adam would help us. Puts out a cuz uh, under mm. rays advisement it's like why don't you put out a wanted ad for the atom to help you and shows up as the atom and he's like sure i'll help you and the atom works with the cia to capture a foreign spy yep that was kind of dope yeah and yeah they capture the foreign spy cell who's who wants to you know make the cold war hot again which is oh that cliche um that old chestnut and um goes back and then they arrest the the fake scientist and they free the the original one. I was like, that was kind of neat. That was mm-hmm. a little weird sort of thing. And now people are more familiar with the Atom because he keeps showing up at all these different things related to law. Um, you would imagine Jean would start to get suspicious as the smart woman that she is when it comes to legal things. It's like, huh, the Atom keeps being invested in all of my cases. Perhaps there's something to that. We won't talk about it. Um, the second story in Showcase number 36, uh, a journalist discovers a way to use telekinesis to steal things, and Ray just stops him because, obviously, the weaker of the two stories of that issue, if I might say. Yes. Um, and then, you know, Kalu Kale, oh, what a day. Uh, several months later, The Atom, number one, June, July 1962, Ray gets his own book. And uh, a guy who's like a, a wood god nymph thing, from, like, a different yep. dimension, yep. Um, makes plants that can commit crimes for him and enslaves a group of, like, wood sprites or wood nymph sprites, little little tiny women that live in flowers, and Gene stumbles upon a guy who gets framed for one of the bank jobs and tries to, to make him, you know, innocent and in doing so, Ray tries to you know help protect her, and finds out that this guy's doing this, and he helps free the Queen of the Wood Nymphs, and they capture this guy. It's the weirdest of all the stories that we deal with right now. It's very strange. Um, so that's the end of the Atom Number One. The Atom Number Two, August September 1962. A guy discovers something that gives him bad luck. And it has to do with Dwarf Star material. It's a stupid story. Like, this was the dumbest of, I think, all of them. And it, and Ray just helps him get out of stupid shenanigans with this, like, bad luck coin. And it's done. And that's the end of the story. Um, the second story, however, is a little bit more important. Ballard, from the first showcase story with the guy that teleported with, you know, Europium, um, he gets out of jail. And convinces a bunch of other criminals to take Europium so that he can get them to teleport after they go to jail so they can get, you know, so they do get tried and convicted for a crime. And then they get out of jail so they can't be tried and convicted for that same crime. But he then charges them like half of their take or something and to basically get them out of jail. And the atom stops him from doing this. And apparently he can't do that because I guess he's allergic to Europium. It's not quite explained, but they just say that he can't take his own formula and they destroy it and the, the bad guys can no longer teleport out of jail the last story we're, we're going to cover today the atom number three october november 1962 chronos the time thief just some dude who has a, like a clock fixation makes a bunch of clock things not the ki- not king clock not clock king Kronos, the time thief we have a lot of guys who have clock that, fetishes. That there's do, both a king clock and a clock king. I believe king. there are. But I know we covered king clock in Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. And that's the guy with the, the funny, like, the whole, like, clock as a face. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, I forgot yeah, that dude, about that. That dude. And wow, then there's also yeah. the
0: guy who has a full clock for a head that has a little crown on top of it. And I don't, I think there's a king clock and a clock king. And then there is Kronos the Time Thief. <laughs> um, don't. To, I I could do the research but I care so very little about that and <laughs> I just like that there are so far three clock themed villains it's hilarious and uh, this is what you get when you don't standardize your villain bank amongst your your company mm,
1: you know like w- yeah. when you
0: don't go like okay we have one clock bad guy nobody else gets to make clock bad guys with the same gimmick just let's be smart about this you know like there was also that guy who made like Deadly cuckoo clocks, wasn't it, with Batman and Robin in the Golden Age? No, that's familiar. But bottom line: lots of clock problems in the DC Universe. Stay away from clock merchants, horologists, and carnivals. Uh, bad dudes, mm. all of them. Bad dudes in bad places. <laughs> Likely a supervillain in disguise if he works at a clock shop, uh, like Chronos, the time a thief. Yeah. Yeah. Like Cronus the Time Thief owns a clock shop and displays the f- the the luxury clock items that he steals in the clock shop. Like he's gonna like sell them, I guess. And Ray goes to get Jean and a fancy wristwatch. The wristwatch watch breaks. Goes to this clock shop to get it fixed. Observes a bunch of stolen clock goods. Thinks that this guy might be a problem. But also goes like, hey, you're missing uh, one very important clock. And the guy's like, what? He's like, an atomic clock. It's a round out your collection. The guy's like, genius. I have to steal an atomic clock from the Ivy Town laboratory where he encounters Ray. Ray tries to stop him as the Atom. Then they both kind of decide that they figured out who each other are. Then Cronus the Time Thief makes a, a watch and when, gets the Atom when he's really tiny and fits him in the watch so that he can like, I don't know, taunt him with the crimes that he's doing by having him be there with him but he leaves a tiny pinhole in the clock face so that he can yell at the atom which of course the atom then just shrinks down to get through and beats him up and wins and then also pretends to be on his wrist the whole time so he can keep his ray palmer identity secret bottom line being clock people are weird and they're criminals (laughs) more than likely be wary of your local clock dealer uh studies have shown um in DC Comics, at least if you live in Ivy Town, Gotham, or I don't know wherever the hell Green Arrow was living, Star City. Yeah, clock clock yeah. people and horologists in those three towns, not good people. Um, the last story in the Atom number 3, one of Ray's colleagues discovers time travel through like the focusing of light rays. And Ray not letting his his colleague have the discovery and content to be the person to delve into this new discovery that he's made, jumps through the time portal as the Atom, has an ancient Arabian Nights adventure, and pretends to be a genie in a lamp for a small kid who is the grandson of Sinbad and helps protect Sinbad's treasure from a bad thief and calls himself Al-Atom, See the
1: atom, I guess. You you can't just mention that and not mention the pun at the end. Oh no, no. I will. I was getting okay. There. Good, thank and, you. And then thank when
0: you. he leaves, he goes like, "Well, that will be later known as Aladdin's lamp due to just like the passage of time and people screwing up al atom Aladdin, which doesn't sound the same." It and, was so
1: good. It was the ultimate uh, dad joke. It was such a
0: it was such a long way to go for that joke. Oh, And it's such a Gardner Fox thing to do, though. Yeah. Is to go go that that distance for a joke. And that's it. That's the last story that we're going to cover with the Atom for today. And that that catches us up to 1962 is where we stop with JLA. So, a couple things. The Elongated Man, we know who he is. He gets his stretching abilities from the Gingold juice, soda, whatever that he drinks that makes him stretchy. Um, The Atom. Ray Palmer, the scientist, the capital S scientist in Ivy Town, has an ability to shrink down to microscopic, sometimes subatomic size, due to dwarf star material that he has, that when shined with UV light makes him shrink, and he becomes the atom. Now, he also has that suit that if he stretches it beyond six inches, it goes invisible. If he puts it back to six inches, it looks like the suit. And... He can also increase and decrease his weight and mass.
1: Which is a cool little combat. I, trick. I
0: really like that. Mm-hmm. So he can make himself as heavy as he would be at his full size, which is 180 pounds, and at the size of six inches, and like just jam a dude right in the chin with like a, a heavy, you know, giant man punch from a
1: tiny surface area, which I feel like would kill a man. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's mostly played as just being disproportionately strong, but, like, human, base human level strong, instead of it being, oh, all that force is concentrated in a small space. That is 100%. Which is like a bullet, right? Like, that that
0: could kill a man. Yep. Um, And then he could also, like, make himself really light to kind of float or glide and also, like, not get harmed if he's really light, like he'll just get pushed back very far. So it's kind of cool. He has a lot of versatility. He can travel through phone telephone lines by shrinking down to the size of, like, the electronic impulse that gets sent through the telephone line, and he travels along the the, the signal. Um That's all, like, really standard fare for the character as far as I knew about mm-hmm. him. I like him. Um This is really cool. This is... His creation is the start of where we found that, and then his uh, induction to the League is very much in that time period when we covered those issues. We now know why he has a tiny chair and why he's not just giant. and As as in his costume, is because his costume goes invisible when he's the size of a normal human, and they don't all trust each other with their secret identities just yet, so he's going to be as small as he needs to be to be in his costume. So that's why he's in a tiny outfit and a tiny chair in the League. Weird, but interesting. Um, I do like whenever he shrinks, he gets those like atom molecule, you know, rings around him. That was always a, a stylistic favorite of mine. Um, he is uh, in a relationship with Jean Loring, who is a lawyer who basically gets used as a plot device. Mm-hmm. As, however, she is a very good lawyer. We yes. know that. We know this for a fact. Jean is a good lawyer, and that's why people go to her and ask her for help. So it's not like Jean's just a person that people talk to, like Inza. Gene's important, but she's definitely not helping the Adam on his cases. She's just yeah. the plot device.
1: She is she is quite smart, but she sets the stage for him,
0: right? Um, and then she goes in for the legal kill, as it were, yeah. putting people behind bars, making someone be you know uh, innocent you know, in, in the eyes of the law, kind of a thing. Um, now Ray has this thing where he is apparently constantly proposing to Gene all the time. Now it's played off as cute. Gene doesn't seem too perturbed by it. Now, neither does Diana in Wonder Woman comics Mm -hmm. with Steve's incessant proposing. Here's my thing with this. Ray proposing to Gene, I feel like, is less problematic and more an issue with the two of them than it is a statement on him being a boorish man. So, Steve is asking Diana to give up her superpowers and her pursuit of justice for him. Ray just wants to marry Jean, and Jean says she doesn't want to get married until she's quote-unquote made it as a lawyer. Now, there's nothing that says she can't make it as a lawyer while also being married.
1: Yeah, it's...
0: It does. There's a weird suggestion that the second she becomes married, she's going to be like a shit lawyer, or she'll have to stop being a lawyer.
1: Like I kind of got the impression that uh, that it was was the latter. That as soon as she got married, she was going to be a housewife, and that was just it. Right.
0: It's. Uh, I guess that's the implication. But I don't know. And that's kind of the thing is that Ray, th- they both apparently like each other, mm-hmm. but Jean's like. I do love you, but this is the thing that I want to do. And Ray's like, that's cool. I just gonna I'm just gonna keep proposing until one day it's my day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's kind of cuter, but it seems more like an arbitrary obstacle.
1: And I think that the reason that it's more okay is because we haven't had any stories. Where he's trying to control her in any way, yet, yeah, or push the issue. It's right always, now, it feels like one of those cute little like inside jokes of yeah. call and response.
0: Yeah, it's always on a date too. Mm-hmm. It's never in a situation that is like, well, she's in the courtroom and he's like, "Marry me now," or uh, "I'm gonna like disrupt your case" or whatever. It's always like we're on a date. It's very sweet. You know, he's rowing a boat with her on you know on a lake, or he's taking her out to dinner and he proposes. She's like, "Not this time." He's like, "Okay, maybe next time." Like it seems like you're right it seems a little bit more like a an inside joke between the two of them and she's not like no you have to stop she's just like no i'm not there yet ray but when mm. i am i will accept and so it's it's less problematic but still super weird because yeah. it's it's just a weird thing to to have a problem with like with with Jay, with, with uh, Iris and Barry their apparent engagement is a non factor Because they never talk about getting married, being engaged, they live separate in separate apartments. It looks like we just know that they're engaged, and it doesn't seem to, and nothing seems to come up between them, except Barry gets jealous of guys that she finds interesting, which is a normal male character flaw in sort of things like this. Conversely, everyone else is trying to propose or be proposed to. And it seemed presented as inconvenient. Lois trying to propose to Superman all the time. Mm. Carol trying to get Green Lantern to marry her. Steve constantly trying to propose to Wonder Woman. Ray proposing to, to Jean. The only ones we don't really see any of this with is Bruce, Ollie, and Arthur, which are, you know, water hobo. Um, you know, in love with Catwoman, and you know, Black Canary doesn't exist yet. She does, but Mark, just not yeah, in the yeah. incarnation that we know her as. So it's just very interesting. But I think all in all, like you said before, all of these were fun. There were some definite misses here, but these were, I mean, it's Gardner Fox. He's kind of starting to hit his stride. So some of these are really good. Some of these are interesting. Lots of Gardner Fox hand-waving for science. Um, but now we know, one, why the Atom was picked as a JLA member. Convenient that Gardner Fox writes him as well as the JLA. Um but he already picked up somebody else's character before that in Green Arrow, so it's not like he's picking all of his own characters to put into the JLA. Um, and the Atom is honestly a decent character to have on the team because of his versatility and his power set. So again, I really wish they started to to like create the 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 B team characters of like you know elongated man's on the bench in case you know the Atom can't make it. But maybe we'll see that later. But I think that's gonna do it for us for summary. Do you have? You know, quick notes, some notes, yeah. all notes.
1: Uh, I got some notes. Uh, so first off, just to address the elephant in the room, uh, I, I at least I best knew uh, Ralph Dibney through uh, Identity Crisis. Yes. Uh, and I, I don't even know if he's a thing in New 52, but i'm not sure
0: but even after identity crisis he showed up in like final crisis and and like uh blackest night a couple times yeah he's 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 been around i i but yeah i don't know if he's shown up since rebirth Mm -hmm. i know plastic man has nice but i don't know about the elongated man specifically
1: uh speaking of plastic man just to have like There are a lot of characters with very similar power sets right around this time. Uh, Elongated Man debuts in May 1960. Mr. Fantastic debuted uh, November 1961. Plastic Man was a 1941
0: guy. Yeah, from Quality Comics, which has gone out of business at this point in time. But DC acquires all of their copyright because Quality Comics has Plastic Man, Uncle Sam, and the Freedom Fighters, and many, many
1: more. Nah. Although, apparently, <laughs> apparently the only reason that uh, they came up with The Elongated Man and had him as that was that they didn't realize they had the copyright to Plastic Man. <laughs> now, granted, they it would have been weird if they used it, because my guess is they would have used the name Plastic Man, but not the characterization. Not Eel O'Brien, yeah, the former criminal. Exactly that. One of the things that's nice about The Elongated Man, which is what it should be, is... The the poses and the honestly the Plastic Man ish kind of hijinks is a good way to put it. Uh, like there's a there's a section where the Flash is giving elongated man a piggyback ride so that elongated man can reach up and catch something. Uh, and it's just I like the visual gags. They they work. They're they're not played up nearly as much as like the classic kind of plastic man kind of feel but there's definitely some of it going on
0: yeah they're not for gags but they're certainly um, very exaggerated silly sort of things
1: yeah and speaking of silly like this' is just a good example of uh, uh broom just writing fun and entertaining stuff like captain boomerang is smart enough to invent a time travel boomerang he is not smart enough to remember to have uh, his gloves on at all times while using it. Yeah. So it's just that like, "Hey, good. we got the time traveling boomerang. Let's check it for fingerprints."
0: Shh! Yeah, and Captain Boomerang runs out of the room, going like, "Fuck!
1: Fuck! Fuck! I forgot it. I forgot I wasn't wearing gloves." <laughs> uh, on the other side of the aisle, what uh, in terms of the art, like. I really like Infantino stuff. Yeah. Man. And not just in general, but also like the visual effect of the alien or the people from the other dimension like going back to their dimension and it's like that dotted line, like black and white outline.
0: Was that um yeah, so that's John Broom and Carmine Infantino on uh Flash again, you know, doing the elongated man stories for
1: reference. Mm-hmm. So I- Kind of reiterating, um, the elongated man stories and also the Adam stories are just fun. Like elongated man, especially, is a little bit more, a uh, little more whimsical. Uh, it's definitely pl- playful. Playful is the right word there, uh, and they're they're just kind of fun. Yeah, uh, Ralph doesn't have a ton of character in like his his speech or his actions, but the things that he does have a lot of personality. Yeah. I touched on this a little bit earlier, but the pacing in the elongated man stories especially is weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just kind of went through all three of them. In number 119, uh, Flash 119, it's four and a half pages before we see the first sign of the antagonists in a 14-page story. Before then, things are just kind of unsettled. Ralph's gone missing. It's four and a half pages until the, uh, the undersea aliens show up mind you though these are still flash stories they are and that's the thing though is I think that's why these
0: seem super weird as they appear in the way that we've been reading them and in the volume that I have as elongated man stories but they are very clearly flash stories that feature the elongated man Yep. Uh,
1: 124 it's 5 pages before they introduce the act 2 antagonists and it's page 9 before act 2 really gets going so that's uh the first nine pages of that story are Captain Boomerang. Is he being a villain? Oh hey, we found the time traveling boomerang. And then page nine is when the interdimensional aliens actually show up in a sixteen page story. It's yeah. it's like you know what it's it's kind of Spider Man three ish. It's kind of uh uh, Superman v. Batman, too many plot threads going on, and too much time building up to them instead of letting each one breathe. Yes. So, it's not bad, it just feels a, lot of a bit spinning. too much
0: build. Yeah, a lot of plate spinning.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, one thing worth noting, in the past I've talked about, especially once we started getting out of, like, the start of the Silver Age, that the paneling and layout was getting better and that some artists specifically were really good at it uh and infantino was one of the first ones that we called out of no this guy knows what he's doing and i just did some comparisons back and forth in general like even like justice league comics and showcase stuff they're doing pretty well with paneling they're not reusing exactly the same panel layout it's not like the six six panel grid all the time it's not oh sometimes we use six panel grid sometimes we use two one three it's no they keep changing it around so that it's a little bit dynamic a little bit fresh each time but what infantino does that i really appreciated was in each of these stories like he's got something really dynamic like he's got uh like a slash through the middle of a panel like separating it into two different panels yeah like those kinds of angles instead of it being just different layouts of the grid it's nah let's play around with some let's play around with some stuff yeah and then moving on to adam stuff so this was the creative team for the adam stuff is gardner fox gil kane and murphy henderson Reminder that Gil Kane is not the same person as Bob Kane, who cr- co-created Batman. I was confused about that for a minute. I was very <laughs> confused. And then it was clear. Uh, yeah. But who Gil Kane is, is, as mentioned earlier, the uh, penciler on uh, Green Lantern stuff. So it you can see that the same skills are at play because there's especially in the first story a little more of a sense of the relationship between uh between gene and ray specifically that's the only story where they're like working together on the problem yeah to a degree where they're both stuck underground for instance mm-hmm. there are panels where okay like they're reacting to each other. Like there's a a panel that I'm looking at right now where Ray is thinking about something like he's doing the archetypal like uh, superhero think of, okay, well, if this is like this, then I need to look into doing this. And in the background is Jean looking at him just kind of like, what are you thinking there? Yeah, And it grounds the story in them working on it, in their relationship instead of, ray being the one reacting to her reacting to the scenario uh it's not just like he is the hub it's both of them in action together and it's a little bit disappointing because the rest of the stories are very i mean they're not just ray centric it is ray leaves gene handles stuff comes back solves
0: it for gene who then who then finishes it off
1: but uh, for the moment, it's good. It doesn't have the uh, same like romance, comic like sizzle. But you can see some of those same like compositional strengths. Yeah. Uh, and so you mentioned that there's often the VFX when I say VFX, but yeah, basically, eh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he goes through the transformation and. One in particular, I think it's the the first time that he transforms. He actually does a little bit of like the head tilt back, mm-hmm. and there's like the the atom bands, and there's like an energy aura spike behind him. And I just happened to be listening to the audio of when Goku goes Super Saiyan three for the first time. Yep. While that was going, I'm just like. I am primed. These things, (laughs) like the, the head and the head back is just like, okay. It's very magical
0: girl transformation.
1: Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and yesterday, uh, a group of us watched the first 30 episodes of Steven universe again. Mm. And it's just like, Oh yes. Magical girl transformation scenes. Yes. Okay. I'm on board with this. Yeah. Uh, this isn't new, but I want to remind everybody it is still the way that silver age stories are. Uh, dialogue almost actually dialogue and narration almost never ends in just a period it's exclamation marks it's question marks and it's ellipses and that's really it it almost never ever since ends we noticed
0: in that in wonder woman yeah it's yep. been like that
1: but this isn't anything new it isn't anything like special to gardener fox it's just kind of the way it is and also worth noting just these stories uh Adam's stories feel a little more Hawkman than JLA like they're not thrillers per se but they're in that same vicinity they're suspense
0: they're more suspenseful it's like when is it when how is he gonna get out of this or like oh no he's like the CIA one is more suspenseful than it is like actiony superhero it's less um, Buck Rogers or you know Adam Strange than it is Hawkman with like you know detective work that leads to superheroing
1: yeah okay yeah One thing that really stood out to me about Adam's stories was he's not powered up specifically. His powers are the ability to basically turn on and off his weight and change size. Right. The fact that his power set is really limited makes these challenges very grounded, very easy to follow. Very believable. Like Ray has to conquer a doorknob at one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a bit where he gets pistol whipped without them even bothering to show, like, the impact on camera. He's extremely human. It makes, at least for me reading it, the action was gr- grounded. Gritty isn't the right word. No, I, Visceral is the I right word. But, but I yeah. get what you mean. Yeah, like, he he is dealing with very human ground level problems. And he doesn't, he's not so much more powerful than everybody else. Like... He's, he feels distinctly vulnerable in a yeah. way that most other superheroes don't. Yeah. He's he's very human in his superhero-ness. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, one of the other things that works well is because his powers are so grounded, like, I really like the stuff that Gardner Fox does for how he uses them. Like, the stuff of turning the weight on and off of okay, and so that, like, someone will be trying to clobber him uh, with Uh, bag full of heavy stuff like he'll turn off his weight so he doesn't the impact doesn't really do much to him it's just like whatever he just
0: flies with it as opposed to like like he says like a dust moat or like a feather like Mm -hmm. if you're really light the impact isn't going to hurt you you're just going to get like plastered to the thing and fly with it you know yeah which was interesting i was like oh i really like that that's an interesting way of doing that power Mm -hmm. and he'll
1: like turn off his weight so that he can like parasail with two leaves he'll turn on his weight at the right he'll he'll have like his m- m- full mass so that he can throw something really hard and then he'll turn off his weight and jump and grab the thing he threw to basically like Thor hammer yeah. fly. It's really cool.
0: I, I do like a lot of the creativity that comes with the character that Fox has to make a lot of uniqueness with the solutions.
1: Yeah. It's it's the strengths of what we've been calling out in the JLA stuff where it's yeah. the creative scenarios Brought into another story with yeah. a different tone. It's not nearly as whimsical. Yeah. It's just creative.
0: Um, do you have recommendations?
1: Um, Rebecca and I have been watching uh, the Great British Bake Off. Yeah, and it's just
0: pleasant. Yeah, it's, it's a nice. lovely show. That's a lovely program.
1: Huh. Uh, it was interesting too in comparison because uh, for a palate cleanser between some episodes of Steven Universe yesterday, uh, we watched. Amy Poehler and uh, Nick Offerman's, mm. uh, their maker show, essentially. like yeah, yeah. It's the, sa- the same kind of setup, but it's uh, making stuff with your hands. And it m- made me realize that the Great British Bake Off sh- does, or Baking Show does a good job of centering the contestants as compared to the hosts taking up a bunch of airtime. It's not about the hosts. Yeah. It's about each of the bakers and what they're making and talking to them and seeing what they're making. Whereas really the Nick Offerman one was, Hey, let's see these people who we know through parks and rec and how and close comedy, they are yeah. to those characters in some ways. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to recommend, this is again, high wrestling fans, uh, WWE 2K19. Oh my God. It's so much better than 2K18. <laughs> Just the, the, the way the skill tree is stratified makes you have to keep playing like the exhibition matches and they've made Mortal Kombat style towers for you to wrestle on that allow you to level up. Nice. So there is, it's not just like, okay, I play as the Undertaker and fight a cruiserweight and just farm experience points. They're like, no, you... To if you want to farm experience points, the easiest way to do it is by doing these towers, which make you fight different people at different difficulty levels so you're forced to kind of have all these different conditions and challenges and you're not just fighting the same fight that's too, that's super easy, but you're using your created character you're also leveling them up, which then levels them up for the story so they can complete the story a lot easier it's it's so much better the career mode is really great it's I think it's really well done. Um, I'm only a few chapters into it, but it's it's very fun. I, I really think anybody who has been like, ah, I don't know about the 2K games for wrestling. They haven't been too good. 2K19 is the best one. Please get that one. If anything, it will be worth your, worth your while. Um, and I think with that, that'll about do it for us. Next time we're going to be doing, uh, I'm probably thinking maybe Challengers. Yeah. And we'll go back to the challenges of the Sounds Unknown, good. maybe Adam Strange, and uh, we'll keep pushing our yardstick up again. Um, thank you. Um, we hope you enjoyed The Elongated Man and The Adam, and we will see you all next time.
1: DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes.
0: We're also on YouTube and Spotify. Please check us out on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. The pair of heroes proved entertaining and interesting for us. We weren't nearly as familiar with them as their contemporary peers, so it was a nice change of pace to learn fresh new faces. This got us in the mood to revisit some of the others we had less than extensive knowledge about. New challengers for our attention were on the horizon.